are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Elizabeth Blair is a composer, vocalist, poet, and visual artist. After earning a BA in visual art in 2004, she spent many years as a folk singer-songwriter in Chicago before moving on to both improvisational performance and more formal composition. An active feminist, she is on the board of the International Alliance for Women in Music and is the director of Listening to Ladies, an initiative that showcases women composers. She is currently pursuing a master's degree in music composition at Western Michigan University studying with Lisa Kuntz and Christopher Biggs. Since our conversation was going to focus almost entirely on the Listening to Ladies podcast, I asked Elizabeth to describe the podcast with three adjectives, which were feminist, celebratory, needed. So obviously, I want to start off by by talking about listening to ladies. Yay! Um, at this <laughs> at this point, um, when we're recording this podcast, there are only four episodes out right now, right? Mm-hmm. And there will be a total of twenty for the first season coming out weekly. Oh, it's interesting that you should say that. You know, the oh, is that not right? <laughs> well, it's just it's just become very organic. It's it's been growing on its own. <laughs> Got it. So, okay. Um, there's going to be more than twenty, and it's looking like the first season is going to be kind of a rolling endlessness. <laughs> Yeah. Which, okay. Yeah. Which I I did I did originally want to to cap it, and I wanted to have like a half a year to sort of catch my breath. Um, but there's a lot of really wonderful people that um I'm getting to include, and and so I think it's gonna it's gonna kind of go till it till till I you know start gasping or something, <laughs> and then I'll take a break. Um, but yeah. It's probably going to be, um, right now I've got about 28 people <laughs> and I'm trying wow. not to, I'm trying not to get too many more, but I right, really, right. I, it's really important to me to have a really diverse cast of, of, of characters, so to speak. Um, and when I originally set this up, I wasn't, I wasn't as keenly aware of that as I am now. Um, and a whole bunch of, um, really amazing composers wrote me when I first put the ad up on the composer site. Um, all of whom were were white women. So so that sort of like woke me up and I and I realized that I really needed to exert some effort and make sure that it was it was really diverse. So I'm Yeah, that's um well I mean just just in terms of the diversity of the compositional voices that you've already had on the pod uh, on the podcast. So so far we have heard Ingrid Stutzel, uh, Pamela Z, Anna Hossman, and Augustus Sony Bates, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, you know, those those four people probably <laughs> couldn't be farther apart. No, you know, just just compositionally, you know, that's that's been something that's been that's been very interesting to me that you that th- this podcast. I mean, it is going for the like the broad spectrum of i mean women in music but but music in general yeah and i mean i think i mean i suppose an argument could be made that pamela z is maybe not um i i don't know maybe she's the most outlying one of those four um from the classical sort of new music world but i think they all to me they all kind of fit into the broad genre of new music or classical music or you know yeah but but, um 
but I mean, you can obviously disagree. I, I, I didn't, it's, it's an interesting question about curation because I didn't, basically my, my rules for this were, um, apart from, you know, making sure I had older composers and younger composers and composers of color and composers from different countries and backgrounds and things like that. My main, besides that, my main criteria is that their work is professional. Right. Um, and that they identify primarily as a composer. So people who, you know, also who, who might identify primarily as a sound artist, I, I didn't include. Um, so it's sort of a self-identification. If they call themselves a composer and, and it's not singer-songwriter stuff, it's not, you know, from that world, then it kind of, uh, then, it, then it passed. <laughs> mm-hmm. One... Um... You know, I was uh, I've just been on Twitter lately and I I like to look at, you know, like how people describe themselves, Um, particularly I mean, particularly composers, because that's what I'm interested in. But um, what's interesting to me is if you are of if you are below a certain age, it seems that it's I mean, and and this might just be the the mechanics of uh, of Twitter, like you, you know, you only have so many characters to describe yourself. So you want to get as much in as possible in, in your self description. But it seems that if you are below a certain age, you have to be at least five things. (laughs) So when you when you say that these people primarily identify as composers, that's, that's a little bit interesting to me, because like, like, you know, it, it seems like everyone is a composer, performer, teacher, coder, you know, all these things. Yeah. And I think in in those cases, <laughs> I just take what what do they list first, you know? Right. Composer first. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And there's been a there's been um, one instance uh, where a composer actually changed um, what they call themselves. Uh, that's Elizabeth Baker um, was going by a list like that with composer in the yep. front. Um, and now she's changed it to, um, new, new Renaissance, Renaissance artist. artist. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Which is interesting. Um, and great and wonderful. Um, but yeah, that was, that was one instance where that, that won't end up when her episode comes up. She won't be, she'll be the outlier there. <laughs> right. Another thing that you said that was, um, that was interesting to me was, is that, when you initially sent out this call, you got only white women mm. who were responding, who were responding to it. And, you know, I had, um, this is going to be a little bit of a story, but, um, I, I'm, I, you know, part of the reason I, I'm doing a podcast is just because I like listening to podcasts. And one of the, one of the podcasts I really like listening, I mean, I like listening to a lot of comedy um, but one of that I really like listening to is two dope Queens and I was, they had, um, or it was no, 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 sorry. It's, it's, uh, Phoebe Robinson from two dope Queens who also has another podcast called, uh, so many white guys. So with, uh, like three or four O's or something like that. Um, and it's, it's just about like how podcasting in general and, you know, I, unfortunately, I fit into the stereotype, but podcasting in general is just a bunch of white guys. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but she had on a um, a guest and they were talking about race um, in general. And it, it pr- prompted this question in me, like, you know what? If you like, 
if I was pressed at that moment, I could not think of a f- woman who is a composer who is African American. Mm. I couldn't I couldn't do it at that point. And I that was not a great feeling. Yeah. You know? So that's I mean, after that, you know, I immediately went uh I I talked to um Jamie Sampson, who is the co founder of Adjective New Music, and we were trying we were kind of racking our brains like, Oh my God, this is this is a problem that we that two composers can't can't really come up with a name. So I like, you know, immediately went out and Elizabeth Baker was the first person that I found that I was like, oh, my God, her music is so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Not just her, yeah. not just her music, but her whole career that she's built for herself. Right. Too. Um, yeah. I mean, with New Music Conflagration and the Toy Piano Festival and and all that. So um, it was it was kind of a I mean, we're, we're it seems like we're getting all these wake up calls right now. And you, I think your podcast is part of that, you know. That's really gratifying to hear. I'm really glad. I I I'm honored to be a sort of a showcase and to do the very small amount of work it takes to to find these women. There's, you know, it's not just just all these women. Um when I first started this, I didn't I couldn't name a single woman composer. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that would have been just last summer in fact. Um I and so for me the whole the whole thing has been and and I when I started it it was just a Facebook page and I set this goal to uh, feature one woman composer a day and I thought well maybe I'll go for a month I had no idea you know and thankfully and and, and the reason I had this this um, little bit of background on me I don't come from a classical music background I actually was a singer songwriter and then I was doing improv and. Um, before that, I was a visual artist, and so I have this colorful arts background, but I don't have um, the any any degrees in in music, um, any formal training in music history or any of that. But the books I was looking at when I was sort of um, teaching myself, uh, you know, were from you know local university libraries and stuff, and they didn't have any. They had almost no women. And so I thought, well, I guess there just aren't any. And thankfully, right. then I, you know, I was like, ding, ding, ding. I'll look on the internet. <laughs> and, and once I started The internet doing, to save the day. Yeah. The internet is is the, the formidable foe of the canon. And so I found, you know, there's, I've featured, um, I do a daily showcase on, on social media and on the website. And I've found, I've featured over almost 400 women at this point. Um, and I have I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more uh, waiting to be featured, and so many women write me every day in response to the ad on Composer Site. I mean, it's just it's overwhelming, honestly. <laughs> so I was wrong. I was very wrong in thinking that that there were not many women, and that that was the explanation for why um, you know you didn't see them very often. There there are so many of them. Um, there. So far in my research, I, I, it still is, um, there still are less women of, fewer women of color. Um, but that's, that's the, that's, I mean, in, in the, you know, short research that I did too, it was, yeah, it w- I mean, it was definitely a significantly lower number. And however, um, if you look at classical music in general, mm. Um, like uh, African American or Hispanic 
men or women, there is, I mean, there is a sharp decrease in the, in the numbers. It just in classical music in general. Yeah. In America, in America. I mean, of course, if you, if you go to other countries, that's not the case, but, but in America, that certainly is the case. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the kind of, and either either yourself or the people, or the composers that you've talked to so far, what are the kind of obstacles that you encounter on a daily basis as a composer who is a woman? That's a great question. <clears throat> I think I want to include it in my interviews from now on. I haven't asked this daily basis question. <laughs> um, because it, it, it's it's coming from this place. Like, it's, and I mean, you know, I'm uh, like just just a, about me. I'm a fairly liberal person, and it's just weird for me to think of a of another person who doesn't believe in equality, you know, or who or a man who is not a feminist. But that's clearly a huge problem, because and, and I mean, again, we're we're recording this. Um, at the beginning of November, so we're right before the election that could, you know, change. I mean, it's it's a political nightmare that we're going through right now. But but clearly, this this whole idea of equality is still up in the air for a lot of people. So I get the sense that for a lot of people, it's not an active thing. It's not something they're actively like, oh no, don't play this, don't play this music because it's a woman composer. But like you said, when you went to the canon and you couldn't, I mean, there there just weren't women composers in the canon. I feel like that's it's this. I guess I guess it's just like it's 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 either an, an afterthought or it's a never thought, because the materials that we use to teach are written from a male dominated perspective. Absolutely. So so when you know when you're going to like say oh who's you know who are composers you like or who who are you going to play or something it it just doesn't in, enter into our thinking because we haven't been taught. Yeah, I mean you just um just a moment ago described your surprise at realizing you didn't you didn't know any women composers of color and you had never right. bothered to think about it before. I mean, it's the same, it's the same exact process. I don't personally think that there are very many people, men or women, uh, who actively, uh, discourage, um, inclusion of women or inclusion of, um, composers of color in programs. Um, I think it's it's primarily not entirely but primarily habit and ignorance and so I mean there's always really great stories that you know that I I don't remember his name but I believe the com- the conductor that Marin Alsop replaced had some very choice words for women as conductors um and you know, there's always these these single stories, and I and I think in in the everyday lives of of these women that I've been uh, that I've been interviewing, there are these stories that stand out of, you know, professors when they were in grad school saying things um, like, so you know, obviously you're gonna you're gonna quit and have babies, right? You know, just just <laughs> stupid shit like that. I mean, that's there, that's there more like the '80s and '90s. That's more the older composers that I've interviewed. Um, but 
but then there's other there's other experiences like what Ingrid uh, described in in episode one of my podcast about you know arriving at a at a conference and being the only the only woman composer there. Like it's it's I think the daily experiences of women composers right now are more along the lines of just being invisible or feeling invisible, um, feeling like they're either invisible or they're sort of they might be a token woman you know in a program right. which is better than no woman but uh certainly certainly that needs to change um and there's many ways to do it i mean, i guess my my approach is just to to simply let people know that we exist because <laughs> i think that's problem right, number yeah. one uh and it, it maybe ties with like you know systemic you know sexism and centuries of that but but I think I think ignorance right now is also a big problem and it's it's easier to tackle ignorance than it is to tackle systemic racism and sexism <laughs> so I'm going for the easy low hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah, I mean just like you say just just being being a voice out there that, you know, shines this light on yes, there is in fact there there are in fact so many like like you say you've got hundreds and hundreds of women that you've found what are your thoughts or advice for for people who you know who don't want to be who don't want to host a podcast or or make a website but still want to be part of the solution i guess well if you're talking about people in the music world um if you are an instrumentalist or a student instrumentalist um Seek out works um, for your instrument that are by women and perform those works at your recitals. That is a fantastic way to to expose your fellow classmates and your professors too to these works. Um, and if you're a teacher or a professor, um, any kind of academic and higher education or lower education, you know, just 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 fold it in um, to your to your curriculum, you know. Instead of instead of the usual pieces that you use to demonstrate stuff that you're teaching, you know, make the effort. It takes it takes a little more time and a little more effort to look up these works, to familiarize yourself with them and then, you know, figure out how to use them in in your in your classes. But it's so worth it. I mean, it's going to change. It's going to change all those people's, you know, it's like the mere exposure effect. It's just just simply expose your students to these works. Let them know that that they exist. Oh, this piece is by a woman. Huh. You know, never occurred to me. I don't see many pieces by women. It's just, it gets that ball rolling in their heads, a little crank, right. crankshaft driving, you know? And, um, so uh, yeah, people in the music world. Yeah. And then people who aren't necessarily in the music world, I would, you know, listen to my podcast or, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> there's, a, there's, you know, there's so much great music and then go follow up and, 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 you know, buy their CDs or, you know, download their, I sound, I'm showing my age, download their music, <laughs> um, you know, blog about it, you know, post your favorite piece on Facebook, say, wow, I discovered this cool piece of music, you know, just, just little things, just, just exposure, I think. Um, and then, and then concerts, gosh, if you want to go to a local concert, you know, and you, you, you know, maybe you're just a, a lover of classical music and you go to your local, your local orchestra and you say, Hey, I'd love it if you played some pieces by women, you know, just be a little, be a little voice, be a little, um, 
mosquito in their ear. <laughs> <laughs> so in in that spirit, we are going to play uh, three three pieces today of composers that you uh, ha- either have featured or will feature on your podcast. So the first one we're going to play is Starburst by Jesse Montgomery. So can you, um, you, you chose the, the pieces that you wanted to feature. So um, can, you, can you tell me a little bit about this piece and then why you chose it? Yeah, this was a piece I heard last fall, so a year ago or so, when the Sphinx Virtuosi came. Uh, to the campus here at Western Michigan University, where I am. And uh, if people don't know about them, they are fantastic. Well, the Sphinx organization is, is a fantastic organization promoting you know, musicians of color. Um, and the Sphinx Virtuosi is comprised entirely of musicians of color and they're um, phenomenal uh, uh, virtuosic mus- musicians. And they came here and performed uh, a bunch of pieces, um, one of them by Jesse Montgomery, who... Um, uh, is a New York-based, New York City-based composer who is going to be in an upcoming episode too. And uh, it was just gorgeous. It was it was so certain and energized and unabashed and alive. It was just a really wonderful experience seeing it live. Um, and, and it's short and it's like a punch. It's like a musical punch, um, but a very uplifting one. <laughs>
I want to get back to something that you said about uh, like people in people in academia folding, uh, you know, folding literature by composers who are women into their, you know, into their teaching or into their materials or something like that. Um, and you, the, there's a key phrase that I, I want to, that I want to highlight. It will take a little extra effort mm-hmm. and that just to play devil's advocate. I think that's where the problem lies. Sure. Because, you know, typically we, you're I overworked. Mean, I'm included, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah sure. I mean, inc- I'm including myself in this one. Luckily, because I am primarily um, the the classes that I'm teaching are um, in electronic music and um, and uh, you know just composition and, and and other courses like that. I'm not really teaching history or or you know old old theory, but um, it, it might seem weird, but it's a little bit easier to feature women composers in in electronic music. And I like it doesn't seem like it should be right because actually when you go to a festival of electronic music, usually, I mean, there if you are a woman at one of these festivals, you do feel like the token woman. Mm. But in actuality, there there are a large, large, large number of women in electronic music. And since it is such a new field and there's not. I mean, new field, it's like 70, 80 years old by now. I mean, I mean, if you're just going on tape music alone. But since it is a relatively new field, there's not a ton of materials written on it. So the classes are largely, you know, determined by the professor. So if I'm going to make the effort to do a class that I have to, you know, come up with the materials anyway, of course I'm going to feature women composers. But it's in the classes like history where you're using let's say the the grout anthology you know the grout anthology or, or uh, um, grout and poliska um though those texts are so paramount to the higher education um institution that i really feel like if there is going to be change those texts have to change the materials that we use to teach must change because if it's if it's about using extra effort of course you're going to get some people but the you know the where we really need it most where you know like the not the highest level universities but just the you know good standard state state school university that's where i think we need it most and that's where it's not happening yeah that's that's where that's one of the hardest things to change is as a well-established institution it's easier to change individual practices I mean, um, I don't know if you heard about this young woman named Jessie McCabe. She was uh, an A-level student in in the UK a year ago or two years ago. And she protested against uh, the A-levels are the exams you take at the end of sort of high school. Um, You you can take ones that are specialized in different subjects. And in the music history one... um, I forget if there were no women or there was one woman or something, and there were 65 um, composers featured that she had to study and and know about, and there was either no women or one woman. And she basically, um, she said, you know, she stood up against that, and she got it changed. Uh, And this is, a, I believe, a government-run, or at least it's, you know, it's a big, heavy, institutionally, you know, designed exam. 
and she did get it changed. And I think they ended up putting in about five out of those 65. <laughs> you know, it's very incremental. Oh it's very difficult. And I, I also, you know, have been having a, a bit of trouble changing the, the entrance exams here at, at this university that I'm at, um, which included right. only one woman. And in about, you know, a thousand years of music history, we had six music history exams and there was just Hildegard. <laughs> oh, Hildegard. Oh, Hildegard. <laughs> And obviously, That's, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, what was sorry. what was her name? She wasn't a was she a composer also? She I mean she was a performer. But Barbara Strazzi. Yes, yeah, she was not included, <laughs> but yes, she yeah. was a she was a composer also. Yeah, a yeah. little a little later, but yeah, um, yeah, and obviously no nobody of color. Um, and you know, sure, it's it's rough. So I, I don't know what to tell you about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder, you know, if, and this, this might be overly pessimistic. I, and I, uh, you know, I think there, there's always research that, that can be done, but I wonder if we are entering into a time where we will just have a lost, like, like a, like a hole in history because, you know, the, the primary sources are just gone. You know, if you're if you're thinking about like going back to the Renaissance or going back to even classical or romantic times, I mean, how much how much can be uncovered? You mean about about women composing music? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, and here's where you know we get to a muddy zone for for my own background. I'm not an academic and I'm not a music historian, so I only know what I've learned in the last year. Um, there's certainly, it's certainly conditions have improved for women. Um, we, we can become composers now. I mean, I think in the past it was just so much more difficult. Uh, so I think it's, I'm pretty safe in saying that there were fewer women composing music, um, in the past and in sort of, right. uh, obviously, or at least writing it down, you know, uh, but, um, there's certainly a lot of scholarship on, especially 18th and 19th century songwriting, um, like art songs and popular songs. A lot of women wrote, wrote songs and a lot of women wrote under pen names. Um, and we have a lot of, uh, evidence of that. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know it, you know, I had a, I had a really challenging question. I gave a talk at for the uh, Department of Gender, Women and Gender Studies here. And um, a young man at the end of my talk, I, the talk was on sort of a, just a broad overview of, of the history of women and music composition in classical music composition and uh, touching on people of color as well, composers of color. And this young man asked me, well, what would you say to somebody who who said, well, women don't compose as good of music as, as men do. It's just a fact. And I... <coughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and I said to him, that was a great challenge, because I think people secretly think that. I think I secretly, vaguely thought that when I started this project. And, and I have to go... I have to say that I started this project because I had a... I felt terrible. I, here I was wanting to go from singer-songwriter to, you know, serious classical composer... And I couldn't find any mentors. I couldn't find any, you know, 
anybody to pattern myself off of or very few women. And I, and I did, it did occur to me, and I am a feminist, it occurred to me, the thought passed through my head, maybe women can't compose music. Maybe there's something about, you know, and I immediately batted down that thought, but that's because I had sure. the resources to do so um, and the wherewithal and the, you know, the experience. But like, if that thought's going through my head, it's going through a lot of people's heads. So I was glad he asked me. And my answer to that question was, um, that until conditions are the same for, a, you know, a given man and a given woman, until they both, you know, until if you take, you know, any, any 19th century, you know, classical male composer, um, a lot of them, you know, had a great deal of resources and a great deal of privilege. Um, not just the fact that they were men and were, you know, encouraged, which is a huge deal, but, um, but but also and the society and the society was completely different and the society was different yeah but they had they had you know they had wives they had servants or they had they had you know they had their position was such that they were served they were they had service given to them whereas right. women yeah. you know did not often have that they often were the ones busy bearing the children and you know doing you know shitty jobs <laughs> you know and they just yeah. it's a time thing and until you give a woman as much time and food and resources and relaxation and you know support and encouragement as a man you know in any even if you could and this is all assuming that like there's some magical way you could say that this piece of music is better than the other you know until you can until you can give similar conditions it's just not even a fair contest really and so you can't you know and i and i obviously you you understand this and i'm sure most of our listeners do but i i still think it's worth pointing out cuz i don't think people you know always necessarily think about that and the same yeah. the same goes for issues of race have you already recorded a, a large portion of your episodes? Yeah, I think I've done 19 or 20 now. Okay. So what are some of the so what are some of the trends you have found amongst your uh, you, all of your guests? So I thought hard about that. That's an interesting question. Definitely um everyone I spoke to feels that 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 the ratio of women to men active in the classical music composition world or and or represented in the classical music composition world um that that ratio is 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 problematic um different people feel that there are different varieties of reasons for this um and it's it's been it's been a good education for me in so many ways but one of the ways is just um listening to different points of view on this like some women i have spoken with i've spoken with have you know really identify strongly as feminists and some women uh hadn't really thought about uh this issue until very recently um and the interesting thing i found and it, and it is you know totally could be completely random and statistically insignificant but the women that have been the least aware or um, aware of sort of uh, there being an inherent sexism in the in the industry um, affecting them or or who feel the least affected um, have been women from Canada and Australia. And so I'm interested in I've got some upcoming interviews in the UK um, just 
I'm just complete. I have no idea, but I just wonder if you know these cultures that stemmed from the United Kingdom somehow have 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 That's something really in common. Interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, just <laughs> to poke a hole in that theory, um, and I mean, of course, this is just one example. But I spoke with um, a composer, Amanda Fury, and uh, at I mean. At the time we are recording this, she will, her episode will be coming out uh, next week, and it was it was an incredible conversation. I mean, I don't I don't know her. Um, we had on the uh, Quinn's Contemporary Vocal Ensemble, mm-hmm. who is a um, uh, you know an all uh, all female vocal quartet, and they had uh, commissioned amanda for a piece and that's how i was introduced to her and i i loved the piece that they did so i was like well why not let's just talk to you know look at her other pieces and talk to her and we had uh, she and i had one of the one of the best like first conversations that i've that i've ever had with someone um and uh we we spent about 30 minutes talking about I mean, talking essentially about this, talking about uh, being a, a woman who is a composer, talking about the politics that you encounter, and she is uh, she's Irish, mm-hmm. and uh, it it's she actually had a very similar story to yours. Is that oh, I didn't even know I could be a composer. <laughs> I, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. So maybe maybe Ireland's di- a, a, a tad bit different but that's that's interesting that um Australia and Canada are a little bit more open yeah they also have i mean again i'm coming from so much ignorance i'm only um you know i don't know a lot about these countries um but they also at least Canada and i believe Australia too from what i can tell they have really great uh governmental support um like yeah it's just so many grants available to composers. So yes. many grants. <laughs> I mean, it just blows my mind. Some of these projects of, of, of Canadian composers I've, I've interviewed, you know, just like six or eight different, you know, governmental organizations granting them money to do these projects. Like, it's just a really great support for the arts. And I think that that has at least in the conversations I've had with these women that has played a big role in them feeling supported and as though they're not experiencing these, these things, they, they still see a lack of women in the field though, but it's more the, the women from elsewhere. Um, uh, that would be like Europe, the middle East and the U S so far, uh, who are sort of really vocal, um, and, uh, about, you know against the situation and 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 you know upset with it in one way or another that'll all the, i mean that'll be interesting something interesting for you to find out as you keep going going through this um yeah in terms of in terms of america it's uh it's a little bit depressing at the moment <laughs> yeah yeah you mean in general so, <laughs> yeah well <laughs> Well, uh, again, this is being recorded before the elections, so when this does come out, it might be a whole lot more depressing. If it comes out, <laughs> the world doesn't end. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, let's listen to let's listen to another piece. Um, this will be only the words themselves mean what they say by Kate Soper. Um, 
I had uh, the whole reason that I started my podcast. Well, not mine, but our our podcast, the Adjective New Music Podcast, um, was because I had really gotten into listening to this other podcast that is no longer. I don't even think you can find it anymore. Like the the guy, I think he took down all the links, but it was just uh, composer conversations. Yes, that's what started me. He was really? a, he was Berlin based. Yeah. Yeah. It was like 2013 and he did like one season and I thought it totally. was really great. Yeah. Yeah, that and you know I I have to say like that's kind of why I model this this one after that is I mean it's just two people talking and I I love that format. And that's that podcast is how I got introduced to Kate Soper uh-huh. and her and her music. And um I just pretty much fell in love with it. I mean I would I would love to have her on have her on ours just to get to talk to her because I, I think her music is so strong. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um I I am fortunate to be uh, to be interviewing her here in February when she comes with Wet Ink to campus. So I get yeah. to I get to snag her then and stick her on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, only the words themselves mean what they say. Oh, it's, it's an amazing piece. It's, uh, for voice and flute. And I think I just gave you the first movement. Yeah. Uh, it's. Wasn't, wasn't that the piece that she talked about on, on the composer conversations, uh, her podcast for that? I didn't listen to that episode actually. Um, Oh man. It was so good. Is it really not available anymore? You know, I looked um, because I had I had downloaded a bunch, and I was like kind of updating my my iTunes and my phones, and I and uh, or my phone, and I was looking around to see because I felt like I downloaded it, then deleted it, then tried to download it again, and it didn't download all the way. And then just recently, I went back, and yeah, it's gone. Oh no! Completely. We have I to know. remember the guy's name and find him. Uh, Daniel. Veza, I think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's descend just, on him. Just you, yeah, yeah, you and I should just contact and be like, look, we need this back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was intense. For purposes. He, he would have like several episodes, one, one composer spread over several episodes often. Yeah. Yeah, he was very thorough. Um. Yeah, no, I'll have to, I'll have to listen to the Kate Soper interview and so I don't reproduce everything, but yeah, this piece, only the words themselves mean what they say. Uh, to me, especially the first movement is just just like almost perfection in a composition, in a new music composition. Yeah. And uh, the text is is half of that, and the composition is the other half. And then the, actually there's three halves, if you can have three halves. The performance, and I was going to say to any listeners, do check out the video of the performance of when she's performing this with... Um, uh, what's the flute player? Uh, Aaron Lesser. Yeah. Because uh, uh-huh. their expressions and the dynamic between them and the fact that they're not using any music, they're not, you know, looking at any music, they're just performing it and their their body language and their facial expressions are really part of the piece. So so definitely check out the video if you like the like the sound of the, the music. But um, the text is by Lydia Davis and it came from a book of short stories um, published in 1997 and I am actually pretty keen to get that book now actually because I only just recently <laughs> sort of 
looked up Lydia Davis. Um, but yeah, it's a really, to me, really feminist text. It's, oh, it's, it's exploring this idea of being in an abusive relationship and excusing and explaining and uh, explaining away um, the abuse basically. Mm. And then, and then finally just being unable to, and she just, she's just, oh, and that's the text. And then with the music, she just, it's this underpinning of anger with this calmness and rationality, all of that cycling through the music and finally ending at the conclusion, like sort of whispered, like you almost can't bear to, to, to believe it, but calling a spade a spade. Yes. The words do mean what they say. Like he does mean it when he says these horrible things. You know, so it's right. to me, it's like this great, uh, great piece of music, great performance piece and great um, subtext and narrative message. When he says, oh, go away and don't come back. Oh, 
Um, you mentioned before that you had some uh, stats from the Boston Symphony um, about composers that are women. Um, uh, can you can you share those? I mean, I think like I've seen I've seen some stats before, but I think you know again as much as as much as possible, these things need to come to light. Like people need to know this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and for that, um, it's the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra. <sighs> Myron Alsop, I hope I'm saying her name right. She's the conductor. And I think so. Yeah. Since she came there, they've been just gathering some incredible stats. In 2014, 15, they looked at the season. Uh, they looked at 21 uh, American orchestras and they examined their season and they found that, you know, not just, first of all, they found that living composers are, are rarely performed. And then among living composers, sure. women are rarely performed. And then they upped that. The first study was, I think, 21 or 22 orchestras. And then last year, the 2015-16 season, uh, they looked at 89 American orchestras. And uh, the season, for, you know, all the works they played during that season and broke it down into a whole bunch of different categories. Um, but of all the works played by 89 American orchestras in that season, 1.7% were by women. And, oh my God. And this is, and this is a, you know, a good place to start when you're having a conversation with people, because I think a lot of people don't quite realize how bad this, this sort of niche of the music world is like, it's really Victorian, you know, is how I keep yeah. thinking of it, you know? And, and, and in fact, like, when you when you look at the fact that Sarajevo is going to have her opera performed this season at the Metropolitan Opera House, it's the first time in how many hundreds of years or something? One hundred and thirteen years. Uh, yeah. the, the last and only time uh, was uh, was an opera by Ethel Smythe, and you know, 
yeah, and that was in 1903. And actually, when I when I when I threw out that fact at uh, the the recent concert that Listening to Ladies, my initiative, put on, um, there was an older gentleman at the back of the audience who audibly gasped. It was quite gratifying because <laughs> it is. It's you know you hear if you're just a casual you know person going through the world, you think that you know, in general, women are doing better and they in general are. And especially in the arts, you know, you sort of, you see them active in all kinds of uh, media, um, dance and pop and rock and rap. And, you know, they're just kind of very visible. Um, And you just don't expect it. You just don't expect that, you know, disparity. It's just shocking. And it was shocking for me. And I actually found out, um, I was reading an article that was just talking about the next season, this the season that's that's now upon us almost um, at the Met, and it was a last it was last year, and it just it just said as an aside, oh yes, and the Sarajevo piece will be the first one by a woman since 1903, and then it went on talking about the rest of the season, and I was just like, wait, you can't just drop this bomb on yeah. me? Are you kidding me? Uh, you know, and that's obviously one opera house, um, but it is pretty it's pretty writ large for the world although some opera houses are doing much better than the met um certainly and then obviously orchestras are lagging behind chamber music um it's much easier and much more um frequent there are many there are many more uh performances by women composers in the chamber music world in those circles so you know uh yeah, it's just it's yeah, really I mean, it's bad statistics. It's bad. It's not just it's not just sort of bad. It's bad. <laughs> the the symphony orchestra and the opera house are I mean they're depressing for well, anyone who's still alive and a composer. I mean, first and foremost, but oh my god, 1. Point, it was it 1.7 of all or 1.7 of new music. 1.7 of all in the 2015-16 season there were no um, deceased women composers. So, uh, okay. Yeah. It was of all the works performed in that season, 12% were living composers and 1.7% um, were women. Yikes. Yeah. It's bad. <laughs> I just yeah. keep repeating that, but I mean, I, it, it is. It's you know? horrible. And, and, um, and there are still a lot of, uh, you know, like I, tell you a quick story i was i was going to uh there was an opportunity for me to have my podcast produced in by a festival based in germany and this festival was very interested in it and expressed a lot of interest in it um and wanted to uh hear a clip um this is before i had started releasing it they wanted to hear a clip and they wanted me to give them a budget and you know, there was just all this really uh, encouraging, you know, back and forth. And I did all of that. And they said, great, we really want you to, we really want to support this podcast. We're going to pr- produce it, you know, um, but, but we want to change your list of interviewees. And I was like, okay. And they said, um, here's eight white men. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that's that's horrible. It's it's absolutely phenomenally terrible. And so I said to them, "Well, you know, I need a job. Obviously, you don't want to support my podcast. I'll make your podcast, but it has to be 50-50. It you have to have it half of them be women. I will make your podcast for you." 
And they said, let us think about it. And they went away for a month. And then they came back and said, we know we don't have nearly enough women, but, you know, in other words, zero. But we're going to keep our list. We want our list to stay as it is. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's just such a wake-up call, you know? And I also, you know, I, I, it's just, it's not been easy. And I really thought it would be. I thought people would be like, yay, what you're doing. And a lot of people are like, you are. And, and I have experienced a ton of support and enthusiasm. But yeah, I have also gotten confirmation from many from many experiences, you know, that this is necessary. <laughs> you know, you asked me right. for three adjectives and one of them was needed. Three adjectives to describe this podcast. It's necessary. It's needed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you brought up you brought up a point, and I actually don't know if I'm gonna leave this in because I'm I'm just forming this as I'm as I'm speaking. And it might not it might not be a good thought. But I wonder that you said that you know, in terms of pop music and, and rap and, you know, all these other areas, like people, people don't necessarily think that, oh, there aren't any women in classical music because there are women in all these other areas. If you look at those areas, though, how those, how those women are treated and marketed, you know, they're in, especially in, like, like, look at someone like Nicki Minaj, or or Rihanna or Beyonce or Katy Perry or or any of these people you know they while I don't think anyone I mean I certainly wouldn't dispute the talent of Beyonce I think she's phenomenal but the way she is marketed is as a sexual commodity whereas in the classical music world there I don't think there is such that that doesn't play as big of a role at least in terms of composers, because usually the composer is invisible. Mm. Whereas if you have a performer where you can, you know, slap their picture on an album cover or or on a poster or something, they are more visual. So, or they are more visible. So it is easier to play up that sexuality that women. I mean, I mean that's that's just media in general. That yeah, women are only are women are only as valuable as how how like what you can sell from their sexuality Mm -hmm. so i wonder if that is if that is a if if that is something that plays into this well i certainly have noticed at least not with composers but i've certainly noticed um just walking through the library and looking at cd covers of classical classical music cds and uh, so often there's a there's a you know, a woman soloist or a woman virtuosic, you know, instrumentalist featured um, on the cover in a scantily, you know, in a sexy dress, you know, looking, looking very sexy. (laughs) Right, of course. And I'm good. And I'm going to tell you, and this is embarrassing, but it's, I mean, it's the truth that when I was in, you know, high school or something and just starting to get into classical music in general, I was at like uh, Barnes and Noble or something and, and browsing the st- browsing the stacks. And I bought a CD because I thought the performer was hot, hmm. you know, and yeah. it had nothing to I mean, that is a real thing. And. Like, I mean, as I said, it's embarrassing now. And like, I look back and, you know, the CD wasn't actually that great. You know, it was, I mean, it was music, but I mean, 
that that performer as opposed to another performer like if that was a man no way would this be even an issue you know but because that was a woman it was interesting i just saw recently that um mila kunis wrote this article about um it's it started off with this story she had about this uh producer or director like basically saying you're never going to work in this town again because she refused to pose on a magazine cover like half naked mm. and i mean you uh, like it, it's that that level of selling sexuality is i mean it's just something that is completely pervasive in our society but it's something that is keeping the rights of women like from progressing i think which is awful yeah yeah it is i mean i'm not really sure what to add to that you're saying it very well it's and yet why you know why are why are male composers you know we say that we say that this is actually the first thing that I did, the first sort of shareable, in, you know, social media thing that I created before I started releasing the podcast was a video. I don't know if you've had a chance or if you've if you've come upon it, but it's a video. It's under two minutes, and it's a sort of the theme is what does a composer look like? And, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we do have. It's not that composers are necessarily invisible. I mean, I get what you're saying because they're not on the stage, but we definitely, if you say to a general, you know, person walking by, you know, tell me what a composer looks like. I think they have an idea in their head. And right. the idea is probably, you know, a white male with white hair, um, <laughs> you know, maybe a powdered a sort of wig. an yeah. old fashioned looking fellow. <laughs> yeah. Right. And in fact, the video starts off. It's just a it's just a screenshot. It's a video screenshot of me Googling music composer. And the pictures that come up, and then I'm scrolling through them all, and it's entirely men. Yeah. Um, and then I, and then you know, just after that in the video, I say, sure, they do look like that, but what what else do they look like? And then I, and then I basically like bomb the viewer with a million billion photos of women who look so different from that. You know, right. <laughs> they're elder, yeah. they're older women, or they're, you know, black women, or they're just just a million, you know variations of of composer facade <laughs> so it's not composer that they're facade that's great <laughs> it's not that they're necessarily invisible i think it's an interesting question yeah and i'm not sure how maybe but, not invisible but just less visible well I, th- like, I i feel like male composers still retain a sex appeal though i think that there is something sexy about a male composer um really well i don't know don't you i mean i guess i picture sort of this you know madman genius and the thing is genius is also a very problematic term that is associated with composers and is is a very gendered term as well genius is a very male thing and and is one of the you know many sort of assumptions that i think people make well you know Composer equals genius. Genius equals male. Therefore, I'm a woman and can't be a composer or shouldn't be or shouldn't consider it or there aren't many women composers or women composers aren't any good. It's just this sort of, you know, false, false thought process <laughs> that we yeah. need to sort of work on. But yeah, I think the, ge- the idea of a genius or a mad genius or whatever 
I don't know. Seems seems like it's a sexy idea. You don't think so? I suppose. <laughs> maybe, yeah, it's I mean, just, maybe it's just. I mean, of, of, no, no, no. I, I, I think of course, like anyone who does something well mm-hmm. is like that's attractive. Yeah, of course. But I never, I never really thought about the word genius being. But now that I'm actually thinking about it, yeah, I'm very hard pressed to think of one instance where you hear a woman described as a genius. The the media is. Touched- I mean, of, go of ahead. Co- of course, of course, it must have happened, but. Oof. Yeah. That doesn't feel good. But see, and then <laughs> you, th- <laughs> you know, just recently they announced the MacArthur Genius Grants, and a whole yep. bunch of them were women. Um, right. But we don't. We sort of right. You know, just to, it just goes past us. It just whew, you know we don't we don't think about it. But I mean. <laughs> Maybe some of us do, but um, it's easy. What I'm trying to say is it's easy to not um, notice that, I guess, yeah. because we're so used I mean, to. I mean, the word genius is kind of po- problematic anyway, because as totally. soon as Kanye, as soon as Kanye West, like, took it for his own, you know, it's it kind of means a little bit less. But <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, and I also Sorry. think I take issue with the word genius in general, because I think it's unfair to the person it's referring to. It's sort of disregarding uh, the enormous hard work that they've put into, you know, their, their, their... That's what I think I have the biggest problem with, yeah. But it's because... also, but it's also, it's also for, for the people sort of, the, the observers or the people looking up to that person, it's, it's making it sound like there's some intrinsic glorious thing about this person that you can never match and i think that that's, dis- it puts distance yeah yeah it puts it puts uncrossable distance yeah. between you and that person and i don't obviously there are people that are very good naturally at some things and then work really hard to get even more amazing at them but yeah i guess i don't know i don't like the inequality of the whole the whole term yeah <laughs> All right, so let's end with a little bit of hope. Okay. <laughs> um, the uh, the last piece we're going to listen to is by Ingrid Stutzel. And um, I don't know if this is, you know, I don't know what the title means, but the title should just give us a little bit of hope as we're ending here, as we, as we come out of the, you know, uh, just the bad feelings of, of, of the reality as it exists uh, from you know all the pervasive inequality but the more things change by ingrid stelzel yeah it's a it's a really beautiful piece um it's featured in the video i was just speaking about that i created uh and it's it's hauntingly beautiful and i have to admit i'm a sucker for melody as a former folk singer songwriter i just really love a good melody and ingrid and i share that love uh and i think that she does it exquisitely well she creates gorgeous melodies um and gorgeous arrangements for those melodies yeah it's just an enchanting piece
cool. And then I want to, I do want to end. Um, I still want to ask my, my final question as I always ask it to everyone. Um, and I'm, I'm actually really interested to hear your answer to this because you have such a diverse past is that how did, how did you come to music as <laughs> something that you wanted to pursue for, for your life? Well, <laughs> I have a very, um, very varied background. I, right. uh, I think the I definitely took piano lessons when I was a kid and I remember spending long hours making up goofy things. And I wish I could find the tapes of those, those goofy made up things. I remember one particular piece. It was like an hour long piece on a synthesizer about a cat chasing a mouse. And it's probably oh just God. horrible. And I recorded it, but I can't find the cassette tape. So maybe oh one day it'll pop up. Um, I really hope it does. That's, <laughs> that, that sounds pretty amazing. But I was definitely from like fourth grade on had headphones clapped onto my ears. I was just obsessed with music. Uh, and and then I, I was writing a lot of poetry, which I still do. Um, but I went to college and I actually majored in art, visual art. I was doing photography and installation and performance art and things like that. And I actually wove in music into that. Strangely, I would do weird, like I had one weird piece where I, I, uh, I was singing back and then I played it backwards um, in an installation setting. And so I was doing stuff without even thinking that it was music. It was just art at the time to me, um, part of the artwork. But it was when I got out of college, I started taking voice lessons, something that I'd always wanted to do and took classical voice lessons for a couple years and then angered my teacher when I basically quit and ran off with a bluegrass band. <laughs> <laughs> And then from there, I was uh, writing my own songs and performing them and then started doing improv and then from improv sort of leapt back into the sort of performance art world and conceptual art and then from there into sort of new music and yeah, just I, I have a weird um, uh, and and well, I shouldn't say weird. I have an unusual um, set of of uh, experiences on my on my cv <laughs> um, com <laughs> compared to a lot of folks that i meet in the in the music world who sort of you know had a had a much more uh, formal education in music i definitely don't <laughs> and i'm really glad you didn't ask me any hard questions <laughs> about music because i <laughs> no problem <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's actually funny because um uh let's see i i think this is number 23 that mm -hmm. I've done and um of those 23 uh, like I asked you about the trends that you've found one trend that I have found amongst all the composers is that the majority of them have a very similar backstory and it's that they started learning an instrument they uh they basically didn't want to practice they thought improvisation and, and like composing little little things by themselves was way more interesting. And then they stopped performing that, like playing that instrument like that. And I would say that's that's probably true for. Oh, I don't know, you know, 75 yeah. percent of all composers. But I loved I love to hear a story that's not that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's funny. I, I definitely 
that's another trend uh, that I've heard a lot of the composers I've interviewed talk about. They they would practice the pieces, but they would change the endings to suit them and piss off their teachers. Right. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. right. <laughs> but in this podcast, I've received a lot of enthusiasm from the women I've interviewed and a lot of gratitude, more than I would have expected. Because a lot of these women... I mean, definitely from the women who um, have felt neglected in their lives or have have not sort of made it in their careers, aren't necessarily, you know, tenured or anything like that. But then also from the women who who really have, you know, made it in academia or, you know, get their works performed a lot. I have I've been surprised by the enthusiasm and gratitude, the levels that I've gotten from these women. And and I'm honored I'm really honored by it, but it also, and it makes me happy that they're so excited, but it also makes me a bit sad because I think yeah. it's indicative of, of, of the problem that the, of, uh, it's indicative of the fact that they're not getting the exposure that maybe they, they should be, or that their, their colleagues are getting who are not women, you know? Right. So it's been, it's been gratifying and very saddening. <laughs> To watch these women get really, really stoked and be so grateful. Thank you so much and yada, yada. It's like, dude, I'm nobody. <laughs> I'm really, I'm, you know, in this, in this world, I'm really an insignificant figure. I'm not some famous editor or, you know, I have no, I have no names. Like you said, who is Elizabeth Blair in your, in your, in your written questions to me. Uh -huh. um, but they're still really, they're still really grateful for that. So. Well, I mean, it that's, is what it is. that's incredible. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's a step. It's a big step. And it's yeah. a step and it's a step I, that we need. Yeah. I hope that others follow me. Yes. <laughs> well, all right, Elizabeth, this was awesome. Yeah. And thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for and having me. It's wonderful. Yeah. So um before uh before we go pl can you tell people where they can find uh the the podcast either on the website or social media or or anything and then you know if they're interested find uh find i mean you are a composer so you you uh your music should be featured right alongside the people you're interviewing so where can they find that too Sure. Well, I'll start with my music just because uh, it's a little bit longer answer. And that is that I still haven't had any contemporary sort of classical new music -y pieces performed. So <laughs> I'm I'm still just a, a wee student. Uh, I, I am I am a wee, 30... <laughs> a wee cherub. I am 35, but I am very, uh, you know, I'm just starting out in that in that particular genre. But there's a lot of uh, songs and and folky things and improv and stuff on my website it's just my name elizabeth blair it's spelled with an s e-l-i-s-a-b-e-t-h blair dot net because dot com was taken dot <laughs> net and then hmm? question question before you move on is your uh is your visual art up anywhere like yeah. I, I, probably people would be interested in, in that too yeah absolutely my my um more recent drawings are up. Uh, I, I had a, I had an amazing experience when I left art school. 
half of my work I left in London because that's where I went to school and half of it I brought back to the States. The half that I left in London was destroyed by a freak flood and the half that I brought back to the States, (laughs) including negatives, was stolen out of the back of my car. Oh my God. So, and this was all before I graduated in 2004. So stuff wasn't really digital. It was really physical. You know, I was a dark room girl and so I had this amazing experience of just starting over. So there's a lot of more that's recent very, work. Which <laughs> that, that's very uh, Edgar Varese or, or someone like that. You know, yeah. he he actively destroyed everything. But <laughs> yeah, I did not actively destroy. And I think the thing that topped it off was then a computer like totally died, and I hadn't backed up like four thousand photos. <laughs> so oh it just God. like perfectly like yeah, uh, perfectly um ended that that period of my life <laughs> um but but that's fine so i have a lot of new drawings and things anyway everything's on my website poetry okay drawings uh music link to the link to the listening to ladies which is very simple it's listening to ladies all one word without any any spaces i have been asked whether there's spaces but even though there aren't spaces in web addresses listening to ladies.com uh very simple and we're uh, on twitter it's at listen to ladies and facebook is just listening to ladies on facebook and that's all i'm on social media so far it's all i can handle all right. yeah <laughs> you haven't you don't have a listening to ladies uh snapchat or or anything no what's the picture one though um Instagram? Yes, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, that's hilarious. As a as a you know former as a person who does photography, what's the what's the picture one? (laughs) I know. I'm a wee I'm a wee thing, but I'm also very old in some ways. (laughs) I'm a nice combo. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Well, again, th- thanks, Elizabeth. And I really, you know, we look forward to, to more episodes. And, and you know, I, I really, I think what you're doing is, is very important. And, um, you know, we, yeah, I just love it. So keep doing it. Thank you. I will. <laughs> thanks so much for the support and encouragement. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com. 